Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Mm-hmm. <sighs> the summer's coming to an end. It is. This is it. We're in August. Some people are already back to school. Some yeah. people are still enjoying the last few weeks of vacations and getaways and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And I am very hot all the time. Yeah, it like is it's very hot. Very warm here the last couple of weeks, which has been crazy. Are you making it through? Yeah. Good. I'm I'm making it. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> but I'm making it. Hydrate or dehydrate, right? Yeah, I guess. We're doing our best. <laughs> Speaking of, my love, what are you drinking tonight? So alert the media. Mm-hmm. The media already probably knows, but they make Dr. Pepper, strawberries and cream, zero sugar. Oh. And it's really good. As good? Uh, don't. I, I refuse to answer that question. Okay. That's but fair. it is very good. Okay. It's very, very good. That's so, tasty sounding. I've actually not had one of those yet. Well, I mean, we got a little small stash. Go That's for true. it. That's true. I might snag one later. So good. Well, for me tonight, I decided to... Similarly, because I did notice that the only Dr. Peppers we have around here currently are zero sugar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I grabbed the uh, non-strawberries and cream, just regular DP zero. Yeah. And tossed in a little Captain Morgan shooter for good measure. So fancy. I know a little bit of DP and rum, Mm -hmm. just uh, just like Jack Sparrow would have liked it. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) It's a good night for it. It is. It is. It's tasty. My dear, what story do you have for us this week? We're still in our summer short series. And so we got some short stories going on as we've been uh, talking through this summer. And we're coming towards the end of that, but we still got a couple more at least. Yep. Just a couple more. And then we'll have a, uh, like a Patreon sample because we haven't done that. Oh yeah. In several months now. And yeah. I want to sample those from time to time so that people that are on the fence might say, you know what? Those Patreon episodes do sound pretty cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're not there yet, though. Yeah. This week, we are talking about another true crime story. In the late hours of June 24th, 1994, 30-year-old Tina Marcotte placed a call to her friend. She told her friend that she had finished a shift at her job at Black Hills Lumber Company, only to discover that she had a flat tire. Mm. Initially asking this friend for a ride, the conversation was interrupted when someone pulled up to Tina's work. 
She went to go see who it was, and when she returned to the call, she told her friend not to worry about picking her up after all because Tom was there. Hmm. Tina was never seen alive again. Oh, no. This is the story of Tina Marcotte. Hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Sounds like it's also the story of Tom, whoever the heck that guy is. It is. Okay. It is. Spoiler. Yes. Right out front. Right out front. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and offer a blanket content warning. This story features distressing themes such as sexual harassment and or assault, and there will be mentions of suicide as well as the mention of the method of suicide. Mm. If any of these things are upsetting and you don't want to hear about them, we are happy to have you back next week. And with that, let's jump in. So Tina was born on December 13th, 1963 in Manchester, New Hampshire, to her parents, Robert and Joyce. She eventually relocated to Rapid City, South Dakota, and would have three children with her long-term boyfriend, Patrick Gleason. The two had lived together for 11 years at the time of today's story, and their children were ages 12, 7, and 2 at the time. Tina and Patrick both worked at Black Hills Molding, which was a lumber manufacturing facility in Rapid City. So around 12.30 a.m. on Friday, June 24th, 1994, Tina had just wrapped up a night shift at her job and made her way to her car. She noticed one of her tires was flat, and so she called around in hopes of finding a ride. She ended up getting a hold of her dear friend, a woman named Vicki Riddle, who had been sleeping at the time the call came in. Hmm. According to Vicki, Tina was upset about her flat tire and needed a ride. Vicki told her, okay, just give me a couple minutes, I'm going to get dressed, and then I'll be on my way to come get you. But before Vicky could start getting ready, the call came to a brief pause when Tina said she noticed a car pull up and she wanted to go see if she knew who it was. After about a minute, she came back and told Vicky, don't worry about picking me up because Tom is here and he's going to give me a ride home. When Vicky asked Tina who Tom was, Tina told her that Tom used to work here. The two said goodbye and hung up the call. Vicky was unaware that this was the last time that they would ever speak. Yeah, wow. So when Tina didn't arrive at home, Patrick wasn't immediately concerned because sometimes she would go out for a beer with a friend after work just from time to time (laughs) and would make it home and all would be well and it would be business as usual. But as Friday progressed, he started to get nervous. And by Saturday, Patrick got the sense that something was seriously wrong. Tina was a devoted mother and there was no way that she would be gone for that long without at least calling to check in. Yeah, on Saturday morning, Vicky made a call to, quote, the Tom that used to work at Black Hills Molding. This was 29-year-old Tom Keeter. She asked Tom if he'd heard anything from Tina and if she'd made it home okay because nobody had heard from her and everybody was starting to get a little bit worried. Hmm. Tom said no, he hadn't talked to her, which Vicky thought was strange because Tina had told her that her old coworker Tom had come to pick her up late Friday morning and as far as she knew, he was the only Tom that Tina used to work with. Oh, man. Okay. So it's not like there's like five Toms. Right. Not picking and choosing from different people. There's really no way to mix people up, it sounds like. Like, That's a pretty particular person and a particular relationship. Right. An old coworker who happened to just show up here. Yeah. Right. So a few hours later, Tom and Patrick showed up at Vicky's wanting to know more about the phone call. Vicky repeated the same story. Tom immediately got defensive, accusing Vicky of being drunk and mishearing the name that Tina had said and claiming that she, quote, wouldn't know Tom from Ron, hmm. which is like a weird response. Like, yeah. But like, OK, that there wasn't really much that Vicky could say. It was just a weird exchange. 
Tom then admitted that, okay, yeah, I am the only Tom that Tina used to work with. He'd since moved to a different lumber processing company, a business called Forest Product Distributors, where he worked as a forklift operator. So it was like a, it sounds like it was a, like, it, it wasn't a super fresh move. Sure. Companies, but like long enough that he's the old coworker. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So after this conversation took place, Patrick and Tom went to the police station together to report Tina missing. I don't really know why Tom felt the need to go with, but he did. Hmm. Police quickly followed up and began investigating Tina's disappearance, and they immediately made a disturbing discovery. Tina's tire wasn't just flat. It had been slashed with a knife. Oh, no. This immediately raised suspicions of foul play at the very least, and it was clear that if Tina was alive, that she was most likely in danger. Mm-hmm. Since his name was brought up in the phone call that Tina made to Vicky, police asked Tom to come in for questioning, which he readily agreed to. He told investigators that he didn't give Tina a ride and that he had an alibi for the time that she went missing. He said that earlier on the night of her disappearance, he was out playing softball and that he'd given a friend a ride home. While he was on his way home, like after after that, he was having car troubles. So he parked under a streetlight near a busy road where he worked on the vehicle for three to four hours before heading home. Oh, wow. And like he okay. named a specific street. He named specific businesses yeah. nearby that under is, a streetlight. That is kind of a big window. Okay. So according to Tom's wife, Nancy, he arrived home at around 3.30 a.m. And immediately after his arrival, he took off all of his clothes, shoelaces included, and put them into the washing machine something that he pretty much never did. He also never called Nancy to inform her that he would be late. Hmm. So this is way later yes. than he was supposed to be. Yes. With all of this information, it was enough for the Pennington County Police to be able to impound Tom's car so that they could further their investigation. Mm-hmm. On June 27th, three days after Tina went missing, police called Tom to inform him that they'd found blood in his car and that blood had been sent off to the lab for testing. They also asked him if he'd been having an affair with Tina, which he firmly denied. Hmm. Yeah. When they interviewed people who lived in the area where Tom claimed that his car had broken down, none of the witnesses recalled seeing him. And in fact, multiple witnesses said that if a car had broken down there, they 100% would have seen it. And some would have even offered to help him out. Because hmm. he named a very specific place yeah. that like neighbors are looking out the window, would see out the window. That kind of thing. Yeah. So he's basically setting himself up to be either misunderstood or just straight up not trusted mm-hmm. because of he's giving so many details that no one else can corroborate. Right. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So here's the twist that police did not see coming. The following morning, so June 28th, Tom Keeter was found dead. Oh. During shift change around 9 a.m. on that day, Co-workers noticed that Tom wasn't accounted for, prompting them to look around the facility, and that's when they discovered him. His head had been crushed underneath the rear wheels of his forklift. Yeah. That's pretty gruesome. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So the forklift, as heavy of machine as it was by itself, had also been carrying nearly a ton of lumber. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. So just incredibly heavy. Yeah. Investigators were quickly on scene, and OSHA advised them to look into the possibility that his death was an accident. Mm -hmm. When the forklift was examined, it was discovered that the parking brake was inoperable. But to police, it still seemed unlikely that this incident was accidental. Even if Tom had been in the path of the forklift with the faulty parking brake, the machine would have been moving slowly enough for him to easily get out of the way before it could get close enough to cause him any injuries. Sure. According to police. Yeah. They were also able to rule out all other types of mechanical failure when they did the exam. It was just the parking brake. Mm -hmm. And Tom was considered to be an expert operator. They don't just let any old Joe Schmo operate a forklift. <laughs> right. And according to coworkers, he was extremely competent and had like in the weeks prior to his death received additional training. Mm. So he wow. wasn't a noob. He wasn't yeah. inexperienced in any way. Yeah. They had to investigate Tom's death as though it was intentional, either a homicide or a suicide. Right. Looking around the scene itself, there were no indications of a struggle. No drag marks in the dirt surrounding the accident, so they didn't believe that Tom had been attacked by another person and then maybe dragged in front of the forklift and then intentionally run over. Instead, they had a far more disturbing theory, that Tom had loaded up the forklift with almost a full ton of lumber, set it on an incline, and then jumped from the forklift, laying down on the ground so that it would crush him. They believed that this was an exceptionally strange and gruesome suicide. They believed that he decided to complete suicide because of the role that police assumed that he had in the disappearance of Tina Marcotte. And they believed that he chose such an unusual method because it would be easy to stage as an accident. And so any life insurance policies that his family may have had for him would remain intact mm -hmm. since most policies won't pay out if the person dies by suicide. Sure, yeah. They even set up a reenactment of their theory and it went exactly how they predicted it would. So when it was all said and done, the coroner ruled Tom's death a suicide. Oh man, that's... Just oof. a very, very bizarre... Super bizarre suicide, And just yeah. like, like unnecessarily painful. Mm-hmm. Because it's <sighs> such a slow moving machine. Yeah. Oh man, it makes my skin crawl a little bit. So Nancy Keeter was not at all convinced that Tom had killed himself. She really? believed that not only would he never do something so terrible, leaving his wife and children behind, but that he would have no reason to, that he had nothing to do with Tina's disappearance and that police were trying to frame him for whatever reason. Mm. Nancy was not the only one who felt this way. Uh, so with the help of an attorney by the name of Rich Bode and a private investigator by the name of John Kolbach, various professionals were interviewed and many agreed that it's next to impossible that someone would choose such an excruciating manner of suicide. And that given the fact that Tom had no history of suicidal ideation or mental illness of any kind, that the idea that he would suddenly flip a switch and complete suicide in such a disturbing manner seemed very unlikely. Hmm. So they're like, this is, the odds of this are very, very low. Yeah, We don't see cases like this ever where somebody dies by suicide with no prior mental health history right. and in such a notable way. This is not something you see every day and there's nothing that would have pointed to him doing that. 
hmm. according to these professionals. Still, others were very much convinced that there was something wrong with Tom's behavior since before Tina even went missing. Various co-workers described Tom as angry or moody and that he had a darker side. He did also have a bit of a criminal record. He'd previously been convicted of burglary and simple assault, which admittedly are a far cry from kidnapping and potentially murder. Yeah. But many people who had worked with him or that knew him believed that he could be capable of such things. Wow. Big jumps, but... Big jumps. At the same time, all it takes is, you know, one one push in that certain direction to be led down a trail of, even if it's a secret one, mm-hmm. a secret trail of you, you know, make some small decisions here and there and here and there. And it seems like a huge jump to most people but then you tie a lot of things together that have happened in the background of someone's right. life. I mean, you know. it, it does hypothetically, I suppose, read very much like a lot of people that turned out to be murderers or serial killers. Like I think of immediately Dennis Rader comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Like all of the things that he did were performative mm-hmm. to mask that he was actually a monster. Right. Uh, but in this scenario, it just... It is very strange. Yeah. Well, and this is all speculation, obviously. Sure. But to to assume that things are happening in the background that they then would need to be, you know, proving and corroborating over time mm-hmm. would set something like that up. And I feel like this is why I'm actually even like sitting and like saying all this. You really have, in my mind, you really have to ethically make a strong case that suicide has to be what it was. Right. Because there's life insurance involved. There's a whole family involved. There's a right. lot of like like big, huge questions that need to be answered so that those families know what to do in right. the outcome, in the in the outset of all that. So right. I feel like it's a big deal. To make a definitive call that it's suicide, I think is a bold move. Yeah. I am not a professional. Uh but just from the outside looking in, it's it's the reenactment did enough to demonstrate that it was a very strong possibility. Yeah. And in their minds, the the motivation was potentially a few layers deep. Yeah. But yeah, I do agree with exactly what you're saying. So let's keep rolling and see if you continue to feel that way. Okay. So Tom also did have a history of drug and alcohol abuse. Mm. And there was nobody who could account for Tom's whereabouts on the night that Tina went missing. Nobody could corroborate his alibi, and the only person who may have known where he was outside of Tina was Vicky, who yeah. insisted that Tina brought him up by name on the night that she vanished. So things weren't looking good for Tom even after his death. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the hunt was still on for Tina. While she was missing, her mother came to her home and took care of the kids while police continued their search for her. Her family offered a reward for information leading to finding her safely, and the community also added to that reward by offering money from a previous reward in a similar case that had gone unused. Oh, wow. Months passed by with no leads, and slowly Tina's family was forced to assume the worst, that Tina was never coming home, but they Mm. held out hope that she would be found alive and well and that there would be some logical explanation for her disappearance. Finally, in the early afternoon hours of October 11th, 1995, more than a full year after Tina went missing, a chilling discovery was made. On the property at Forest Products Distributors, 
Tom's place of work at the time of his death, a heavy piece of machinery was moving lumber from a scrap pile when a body was discovered buried beneath it. Oh my. Due to the state of decomposition, the body wasn't immediately able to be identified, but within a week, with the help of medical and dental records, as well as the clothing and other objects found near the body, it was determined that the body did belong to Tina Marcotte. An autopsy revealed that Tina had been killed by a blunt force trauma to the skull with significant fractures on the upper left side of her head. Oh my gosh. Tina's case remained open for several years, and with the prime suspect in her disappearance and murder also deceased, the police were only able to theorize as to what had happened to her. Mm -hmm. They believed that on the night that she went missing, Tom Keeter had slashed her tire, knowing that she would be stranded without help. He then showed up like a white knight prepared to give her a ride home. Then they believed that he made sexual advances on her and that she likely declined. They then believed that Tom killed her in a fit of rage, disposing of her remains at his place of work and moving a pile of scrap wood on top of her body in order to conceal his crimes. Wow. This would have taken a significant amount of time, which could also account for him being MIA until 3.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. They believed that he had planned this whole thing out but hadn't accounted for the possibility that Tina would have reached out to friends by phone and that she would name him Mm. as he showed up to her work. Right. And then either consumed by guilt or being aware that the walls were closing in on him, Tom Keeter completed suicide by forklift, leaving everyone to forever wonder what truly happened and avoiding justice being served for Tina. So that is the police theory. Yeah. Okay. It makes logical sense. It does. Um, it obviously leaves a couple of holes, um, namely with with Tom only being named by first name. Obviously, Vicky doesn't have like the like there's no face to identify just mm-hmm. one first name. So that's not really like enough to like demonstrate and prove anything. Also, it's a little strange to me that they impounded his car. For, for further investigation. And it sounds like they didn't find anything that will sort of come up again later. Will it? Okay. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are two notable ones in my mind that I'm like yeah. still waiting for some answers on. So with that, pass it back to you. You can t- tell it, tell us more. <laughs> okay. So Nancy Keeter still denies that this theory that police came up with could be possible at all, even mm. to this very day. She has no reason to believe Tom would ever do anything that he's being accused of. And believe it or not, there are still others out there who do agree with her. Over the years, Nancy pushed for police to investigate Tom's death more thoroughly as a homicide, and she stands by his innocence even still. Some sources say that with the availability of DNA testing years after her death, Tina's daughter offered a DNA sample and was a match for the blood found on Tom Keeter's shoe that they'd found in his car. So I guess the blood was on the shoe in the car. Okay. And police did end up issuing statements that if Tom Keeter was still alive, they would absolutely charge him with Tina's murder because they have more than just circumstantial evidence at this point. Mm. So, I mean, a shoe with Tina's blood being found in his car is a pretty smoking gun. Yeah. I feel like that's that's probably the smoking gun evidence outside of everything else. Right, right. That, it's... It takes me back to that Netflix series, um, Making a Murderer, mm-hmm. where you have uh, the the main suspect's blood found on the car steering wheel mm-hmm. at some point. And I forget like all the details, and I don't want to spoil it for anybody who might want to go watch it now that it's 
been out for five years. More than that. <laughs> that's true. It's been out for a while. But that's one of the things that people really hinged on as evidence and also as planted evidence, which right. seems hard to do in this case because sure. her body wasn't found for a whole year after. Right. So, yeah, it sounds like, yes, the evidence is there. Now the question is motive, which is something that we don't always get. No. And in this case, we might never. Well, and some people I've seen talking about it have said that if he was in like a downward moment Mm -hmm. with his substance abuse problems. Oh, yeah. That like maybe he would behave in ways that he normally wouldn't. Yeah. And we just don't know. We just don't know. There was, from my understanding, there was no toxicology or anything like that that revealed Mm -hmm. any substances in his system. Wow. Especially on the night that Tina went missing. Right. Let alone after he had passed away. So it's like, it's just tough. It's really tough. There are people who argue that he was a victim too. And then there are others who are like, it really is gross that you would do that because he's the most likely person who ended her life. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a tough one. Yeah. It sounds like it. Well, and it's that we've talked about this in the, in the past, it's that hard tension of like, most likely doesn't like, that's not enough to convict somebody, Mm -hmm. but it is enough to put charges. It's it's enough to like investigate, investigate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. (laughs) So, Oh, they yeah. believe that they have enough that if he were alive, they could charge him. Yeah. And I would wonder if there's more that they haven't released just because it, it wouldn't do anything at this point. Sure. So. Sure. So the family, Tina's family, did believe this theory and all other leads that police followed up on over the years ran dry very quickly. Mm-hmm. So this really was the only thing that made sense unless it was completely random. Sure. Which does not happen that often. Right. So sadly... Patrick Gleason passed away in 2015. And from what I could find, he never dated or got married after Tina's death. Oh. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. Both of Tina's parents have also since passed away. Tina Marie Marcotte was buried at the Blossom Hill Cemetery in Concord, New Hampshire, and her story was featured on Unsolved Mysteries in 1996. A little less than five years after Tom's death, Nancy was given life insurance benefits when a judge ruled that there was not enough irrefutable evidence to confirm that Tom had died by suicide and not by homicide or by accident. Mm-hmm. That's but fair. I think that that's fair because totally. I think she. I think she. That was a civil case. Yeah, I don't. It was not obviously a criminal case. Right. So regardless, this is another tragic story resulting in so many lives being changed forever. Children without their mother or their father. Mm -hmm. Spouses and long-term partners and friends left wondering, knowing that they'll never get the answers that they deserve and that Tina will never truly get the justice due to her. And that's what I have for you today. Wow. That one's a huge bummer. That one is a huge bummer. And it's it it leaves you hanging a little bit. It does. But it's it's another instance of we 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 have to kind of expect that every Mm -hmm. once in a while. That's not the ideal. That's not what anybody wants to hear, mm. but it's it's real. Yeah. And these these are still stories that need to be told and shared, whether yeah. it's for warning and for a heads up that like, hey, be vigilant, be on guard, um, or also just to uh, just remember a victim. Mm-hmm. In this case, at least one, if not more. Mm-hmm. And really yeah. more because there's families involved. Yeah. And, so. and children. Mm-hmm. 
So sad. Because really Tom, Tom and Nancy also had, I believe, either two or three children as yeah. well. So it's just like, man, if he's not guilty and you have to live most of your life not knowing mm-hmm. and wondering if he is, if he is. Yeah. But he, it, uh, I don't know. It's just hard. a really, really sad yeah. story. Well, one thing that I did appreciate was that police did leave both of their cases open for mm. like years and they did follow up on leads and they did look more into yeah. certain angles and, and possibilities. Yeah. Like they, they really were diligent to try and actually find solid answers. Yeah. But in the end, their theory was enough for them to say, okay, we, we, we can close these now. Yeah. So yeah. maybe that'd be tough. It'd be tough to make that call, mm. but it's also eventually all the leads run dry and it seems mm-hmm. to be that this is the closest you can get. Right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. If you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast on your favorite listening platform and that you leave a glowing five-star review. Those reviews help other people find this podcast to listen to similar ones like it. Also, make sure that you're following us on social media. We are on TikTok and Instagram at This One Is A Doozy. And on Facebook, This One's A Doozy Podcast. But if you want to connect with us even more directly, you can go and join us on Patreon. My love, why don't you tell them about Patreon? Yes. So you can go to patreon.com slash doozypod, or you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or our Facebook about section. And for $5 a month, you can support our show. Supporters over on Patreon will get access to all of our content ad-free, as well as two monthly exclusive bonus episodes. And we are mere weeks away from announcing our fall giving options. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we, we really want to support organizations that lift up victims of violent crime and their families. And our patrons have historically done a really wonderful job at helping us know who to give Mm -hmm. to. So Yeah. yeah, join us on over there. That's right. Well, with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.